Everybody, welcome to Greg's Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Go check out Bike911.com. Alex Asante, attorney, if you need some help with attorney things, give him a buzz. I'm Greg White, and joining me as always, not really, is Jason Pridmore. Hi, Jason. What do you mean, not really? I'm here most of the time. Most of the time, but we are going to talk about something that we haven't talked about probably since you got hurt, which is Phillip Island. I right? know, man. What I year did you get hurt at Phillip Island? 19. Is that nuts? Yeah, and, and MotoGP hasn't been since 2019. It's pretty wild. I mean, uh, and it looks like the weather's going to be bad over there for those guys, which is such a shame because uh, it's just such an iconic, great place. It usually produces great racing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for all accounts and purposes, it looks like it's supposed to just pour rain the whole time with winds. And I, I read something last night. I can't remember who posted it, but it basically said that it was supposed to be windy and rainy. And except for a little bit on Saturday, it might be nice. But the forecast for Thailand was junk, too. And they only had rain, like, on at race time. So That's true. You know, forecasts, how they go. But, yeah, Phillip Island being miserable and cold and all that stuff, man. That's a, I've that's never a seen it like that. I've only ever seen it hot because I'm always over there in their summer, you know, in January. So I've only ever seen it really warm and, and gorgeous and nice. It's always been perfect when I've been there. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a bummer. But it'll make the championship interesting again, I guess. It's, it's just throwing another curveball at it. So we'll see how that ends up this weekend. But it's nice. Nice being on the West Coast. Nice being in California for those races in Australia because you can watch them, you know, live. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get some good timing there. Yeah. Uh, a little too early in the morning for me on the West Coast. How was Coast, the weekend? Yeah. What did you end up doing over the weekend? Good. I ended up riding all weekend, which was awesome. We had our first weekends out um, at the track with SoCal Track Days, and um, track was awesome. It was It was great. I know they had some problems with it, I think, during the race weekend. But, you know, like I tried to explain to people, if you're going to go out and race in 107 or 108 degree weather and the track temperature gets to be 140 degrees, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. When the track temperature gets to 140 degrees, Greg, as you know, it's it's no good. It doesn't matter where you are. So there's a new surface down and uh, at Chukwala, there's a new surface down and I think it's going to be great. And I think that... Uh, now it's just starting to get cooler out there every, you know, every week, every month. It'll just continue to, the track will just continue to get better and better, I, th- I think. So we rode out there for three days and, and had a blast. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about World Superbike, Portimao, and then we're going to preview a little bit of Phillip Island and talk about some news and stuff, um, which we got a lot of news items to really catch up on. If you want to uh, support the channel because you like what you hear, patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV. Appreciate everybody who's doing that. And uh, there's a link in the description and uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, I guess, which is Greg's Garage TV. But before we do any of that, Jason, why don't we go ahead and jump on over to news presented by Arai. Hey, JP, did you know that every Arai helmet is meticulously made, handmade and crafted by men and women who are active participants in the Arai mission to present the highest level of protection and quality. From the shell to the paint to the liner, the work is performed by hand by experienced focus specialists. Just one more reason, check out AraiAmericas.com. Visit your local Arai dealer for proper fit and paint jobs. 
All right, JP, let's start off with some interesting news about American and 15-year-old Kayla Yaakov, because Yaakov was in Portimao over the weekend, racing in the Yamaha R3 Super Finale. She was invited to race uh, as the lone representative from the U.S., even though she's been racing a Kawasaki Ninja 400 all year in Moto America. That's just a purchase bike, right? Like, it's not supported by Kawasaki. So Yamaha sent her over, and Kayla... um, well, she was up front in both races. She, she scored a fourth place finish in race one and second place finish in race number two, both times getting drafted. What do you think about Kayla's performance going to Portimao and getting the job done? So cool, isn't it? What a year she's had. I mean, she's had such an incredible year. I haven't been able to find a link for those races. I don't know if you did or if you watched them. I didn't like the see video them. of the races. Yeah. No. Was there any? Never I don't know. Them. Well, <clears throat> I mean, we know how competitive it is, and we know she did a bunch of those races last year. Remember, she was kind of doing double duty. She was going back and forth, and she told me she really enjoyed doing those races and those rounds. And, um, you know, for her to go over there and do as well as she did um, at that track, I can't remember if she raced there or not before. I don't believe that she did. So, you know, that's not an easy track to learn. And it just goes to show, again, like, you know, it's going to be fun to see where she ends up in the years ahead, like where's she going to, what's her next move? What's her next step? And, um, I know what she's told me a few of the things that she would like to do that, uh, that I won't say, but I mean, I think that it'll be interesting to see if she ends up doing some of the stuff that she would like to do and, um, you know, get off some of the smaller bikes. I know she wants to jump on something a little bigger. Yeah. If Kayla had her, her way, she'd be on a super bike next week. She probably would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Daytona International Speedway sent out a press release about its motorcycle racing stuff during Daytona Bike Week coming up. Moto America will be there again on the 11th. The 200 will happen, and the first round of the Revit Twins Cup race for Moto America, as well as Roland Sand Hooligan race and Mission King of the Baggers. So it sounds like the same program that we had uh, last year. What do you think about Moto America and Daytona 200 teaming up again, JP? Didn't you feel like last year's Daytona 200 was like a pretty big success? Like I felt like there was a lot of hype, a lot of hype around the world. I think that getting back to the high banks and doing it the way that it was done last year, I loved the fact that there, I think that the two biggest things that I could take away from last year's race was the racing was really good at the front. I think in all of our classes, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, Twins Cup was insane. Uh, Baggers was good. Uh, you know, we had Jeremy McWilliams winning that. So he came, he came over, you know, and, and won a race there. But I love the fact that they kind of kept the limited number down in that 200 race. So we didn't have, you know, big, big differences in speed, big speed discrepancies. I felt like it was a safer race last year than it was in years past too. So I, I felt like the racing was really good. It'll be interesting to see if more people get involved even even this year. Um, moving, moving on into 2023, if more teams or people kind of get involved, because I felt like it was a pretty big success last year. I felt like there was more hype around the 200 last year than there had been. in maybe some of the previous years, I could not agree. I think part of the hype too, was the fact that it was the brand new super sport class, like the next generation. Super you could sport not agree, or you could not agree more. Couldn't agree more. Okay. I just want to make sure your English isn't, you know, no, I was, I was away. thinking ahead of myself, right? Like, yeah, so great. Now that that class has been sorted out even more, I mean, in World Super Sport, we saw a Triumph win this weekend. Like, the balancing seems pretty pretty good. 
Yeah. Really good. So yeah, I agree. I'm sure that there'll be a couple of little adjustments made in the off season. I know, dude, there's talk. Like the one thing that Supersport has done was started to turn the heads of a couple of manufacturers. There's some really big companies out there. One of them here in the U S another one, uh, in Europe, <laughs> I won't name names Yeah, that have been developing super sport machines based on these new rules. So they have like a motor configuration that would make sense. And then they're okay with it being, you know, uh, regulated and balanced and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if anything's going to happen during the off season with these manufacturers yet might be another year out, but if there were more manufacturers that were available to come race in the Daytona 200, I think that that would create even more hype than we had this year, but it's going to be a fun weekend. Hooligans race is always good to watch. And like you're saying, Daytona itself, it creates great racing. So March 11th, hopefully we'll have better weather on yeah, Sunday. We had we some had weird good, weather. Remember how cold it was? It was cold. And was I mean, we woke cold. up Sunday morning, if, if you remember, and flights got canceled everywhere because yes. it was like, yeah, frost. you had a miserable time. I remember. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. I only yeah you had a miserable time getting back mm-hmm. and. No, I remember it, that that was the that was the bummer part was that it was unseasonably cold. I think it was the first year I'd never actually gone down ever gone down to the beach. I didn't go down to like the actual beach part of Daytona Beach at all last year. Um, I just kind of stayed. Our hotel was right next to the track, if you remember. And you and I just kind of grabbed some food. We had a good Sunday night or Saturday night, whatever it was, when we went watched Supercross. Night was and fun. That was fun night. So yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I'm excited that that Motor America is getting back there again. I think it's an important race on the calendar, and I think that we're going to see more teams. Might see some more teams from uh, over in England. I, I know that there's a huge interest in a lot of the British guys that race in uh, in BSB. There's a lot of them that look at Daytona and go, "Man, we just want to come there and ride the high bank." So I think you might maybe you'll see a few more teams from over there. Hey, speaking of BSB, New Jersey's own Brandon Posh will return to the site of his BSB Moto3 championship, like where he won at Brands Hatch. This time on a Suzuki 1000, he joins Rodeo Racing and build-based Suzuki Hawk Racing. What do you think about Posh going over on the 1000? I know that, uh, you know, Gus Rodeo is going to be there racing, but Posh is going to be there to kind of help him along. I think Maziato too. So what do you think about Posh getting back to Brands on 1000? I mean, he's raced what? The Triumph 765, the Moto3. everything, right? hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I I like it. I mean, it's great. It's he's staying current, he's staying on it. He's you know he's over here. Unfortunately, our season's finished, so for him to be able to go get get some time on a bike, and obviously, I think having Shaky Burn as his, as his acting as his manager for him, it's helped him probably get his foot in the door over there again to get a shot at doing this last Brands Hatch finale. And um, it's a great weekend. That that fi- that final race over there um, is is really really well spectated it's a fun weekend weather can be a bit you know dodgy sometimes so i haven't looked and see when it's going to be like over there but you know when you start getting to mid-october um in in england it can be a little bit sketch but the whole area greg i know you've never been to brands hatch but the whole area of kent is is in is beautiful place and um there'll be a lot of hype that that championship's gone through quite a bit of turmoil this year just in a lot of guys getting hurt um uh, in the showdown uh, because the racing is so close. So, um, yeah, we'll see who ends up coming out of there with the championship, but good for Brandon getting over there and the other guys too. It's good to see Gus and, and, uh, Maziato over there as well. Congratulations, Eli Tomac. He takes victory in the first FIM world supercross championship. I think he won all three races, Jay, and, but our boy, Chad Reed got hurt. He suffered a mechanical and he's, uh, 
he suffered a dislocated right shoulder, broken left hand, and some broken ribs. Get well soon, Reedy. Did you get a chance to watch any of the FIM World Supercross, or are you interested in it at all? I didn't get to see it. I have it. I have it on my on my list of things to watch, and they're on my TV. So I'll I'll probably get a chance to to check it out. I didn't even know until I read this that there were three races. So I don't know the formats or. Uh, or any of that i've actually been wanting to call weege and just get the rundown on like all right what am i supposed to be watching what's going on right now because I, I i i don't understand the whole world supercross motocross whatever they're calling it super motocross format i it i is this just a one-off race in cardiff like they do in france i i don't i don't know so i've got to kind of get back on it and see like how this thing's running because i know our championship is a little bit separate but it sounds like they're combining things. Yeah, so our I, championship I now. We used to be bit. it. It used to be the, the FIM AMA, like Supercross World Championship, blah blah blah. Right, like, and then there was a split. So we got to get Wee John. He'll tell tell us all about the ins and outs of all that stuff because because I'm interested in it because I love Supercross in the U.S. But it is kind of weird to have these three races at the end of the year because their calendar was announced. Both Supercross, Motocross, and this Super Motocross thing was announced. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested to see kind of what happens with all that. I saw that Colt Nichols was signed on with Honda now as well. And, um, you know, it's like, I'm a little bit out of the loop, G-Dub. I'm a little bit out of the loop. I, I, I don't know who is all doing things right now. I haven't had a chance to really check it all out. So I want to see, uh, I want to see where that goes. I just saw that you have that on the thing coming up. Sorry. Yeah. Colt Nichols Nichols joined Team Honda. Yeah. No big deal. He signs with it. That was just an early news item I had in there. Not really Mm -hmm. our cup of tea, but you know, I think Kenny Roxon's done right. So Colt Nichols is in the 450 class, which is great, but moving on. Oh, is that what's gone on? Okay. So Colt Nichols is in Roxon's out. So then they do put jet on a 450. Is that what's happening with Sexton? With Sexton? Sexton's still around. No, Sexton's still on the 450. I think it's Colt and yeah, I don't know. Well, I, 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 this was like, when I was doing the rundown last week, it was kind of an early press release, so I threw it in there just in case okay, there wasn't okay. news. As news piled up, I, I kind of left it in there. Um, you know, I am pumped though that former Moto America Supersport star and Frenchman Valentin DeBees he signed to ride in World Supersport for 2023. Yep. He's had a couple good appearances. What do you think about that move? I love it, and he's. I, I know all. I know. I say I know all. I know most of the guys on that team too. The GMT 94 team, and we've talked about it with. Christoph Gio is like one of the best people you'll ever meet uh, in the paddock. He's he's an amazing guy. Um, I know a few of the mechanics on that team. They they have a rich history in endurance, world endurance. And so I raced against Christoph and a few of the teams, uh, a few of the people on the the team there. So it's been really fun to watch them just kind of continue to move their progress along and going into the World Superbike paddock and being in World Supersport. And it also looks now like. Um, and we'll be able to get a little bit more of this information shortly, but it looks like Baldessari might sign for that team and ride Superbike as well um, with GMT 94 because they're 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 also wanting to move up into Superbike, and we know Baldessari right now is second in the championship in Supersport, and um, so that team has really just continued to get, evolve and get better and better throughout the years. So uh, yeah, congrats to those guys and congrats to Valentin. I think it's a good thing for him he's double super sport champion i think now in france the last few years the last couple years probably would have had a third one but i think he got hurt if you remember greg he had that weird starting line accident at the world super sport race at magni Corps. i think it was last year or 2020 um when he got clipped on the line and broke his arm um 
like starting a warm up lap or something weird. But yeah, um, good for Valentin. All right, and that's your news presented by Arai. All right, so with the news done, let's welcome in Steve English from World Superbike, who's going to talk about this weekend. Steve, how are you, man? Jason Pridmore's new best friend. I'm absolutely devastated. Where was my antimicrobial read? I I I need it, Greg. Like I've jumped in too late in the pod to actually be able to listen to it. Yeah, actually, uh, we'll we'll tell you about that off camera. But for now, uh, that's not part of our conversation anymore. Okay, yeah. there you go. We can edit that yeah. out. Like. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm gonna leave it in there. But uh, yeah, we don't uh, we don't we don't say that anymore for the time being. Let's just put it that way. Let's put it that Is this- way. Is this also a sign I haven't been listening to the pod for a few weeks? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about that later. But all right, so Steve, mixed bag, obviously for you guys this weekend in World Superbike. Um, you know, where do you want to begin? There's with the classes or anything else you'd like to talk about? Well, I think obviously we have to start off with Victor Steeman because it's a very it's a very sad day in any paddock whenever you lose someone racing. But I think also especially with the Supersport 300 class after what happened last year with Dean Berta Vinales. I think it's one of those situations where for all of us in the World Superbike paddock and in fairness, any anyone involved at racing, it's always one of those situations that no one wants to see. It's always a stark reminder of the dangers everyone has because I know for me, I always talk a lot about how from the outside, people look at the Isle of Man TT as being the ultimate danger of motorcycle racing and we discount what happens in short circuit racing. And the run down to, to turn one on lap one, if you've got 30 guys behind you, is always a, a risk. And it's one of those situations that it's always worth reminding ourselves of how brave anyone is anytime they want to race. I was I was never brave enough for that. And I knew that. So I wanted to get involved in racing, so I went down the journalist route. But anyone that's willing to, to race accepts those risks and understands them. But you also have a stark reminder on a situation like that with Steeman. I think one of the things, Steve, just talking to you, and I know we could go down a rabbit hole on this, is the age limit thing always gets brought up. And like you've pointed out to us, Victor was was 22 years old. And um, I don't really, I've never really believed, for one, that the age limit thing is a thing. And I also believe something else that you said that when, when, as a writer, I, I think I agree with you 100%. We all take that responsibility. We all kind of know. The only thing I would say is that a lot of people that are younger, they haven't really been through a lot of life moments where that, that comes into their brain as far as like realizing the risks. I think it's easy to say. I was pretty late in my career when I said that I really accepted and realized the risks. I had seen enough bad things along the way with my father. I was a little bit different because I'd seen a lot of things happen um, but still it was 2021, 20, 22 years old, even maybe 23, where I started to realize that, wow, when you start getting to the, the front of a, of a race, there does bring in the potential of the people behind you. If you do make a mistake of getting clipped. And I think that, um, you know, the age limit thing for me over there has never made much sense. Cause if you have 30, if you have 30 guys, age 30, that are all on the same bike, going the same speed, the risks are still there. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I think it's always an interesting discussion whenever you talk about where riders are coming through now. Like we we did it on on our podcast, myself, Gordo, and Charlie Hescott talking about it, where we went down the route of what's happening with talent cups. They're pushing a lot of Grand Prix style riders into 
the feeder classes all the way through. And then in superbike racing, what we're seeing now is in the super sport class, teams are looking for a Moto2 rider rather than searching for the next super sport rider from BSB or Australia, Germany, America, whatever it is. You're just looking for that next guy coming over from Moto2 because that's the proven success route. You look at it with Agatha Baldessari this season, you look over the last years, whether it's Locatelli, Cortesi, Krumenak, or whoever you want to look at, the last five or six years, that's been the proven route to be able to win a world championship. So that's where teams go. And a lot of that is because we've got so many really good riders now. The depth that you have across the field in all three Grand Prix classes, all the classes in the Superbike paddock, domestic championships, and then like the, the Junior GP paddock is vast it's so much different now compared to say when you when you were coming up racing jason because even though you were able yeah. to get to the highest level you know you were racing in world superbikes the challenge of doing that now would be massive for a rider like you because you would have been coming from outside of all of the the normal channels that are there now and i think that's the big thing yeah yeah like navarro just got signed didn't he so he's gonna ride for uh for as at Tenkate next year, right? He's taking the Goethe spot. So he's coming from Moto2 as well. And, he, and he's a guy that really hasn't done a lot. So it's interesting that that he would get that seat to me, you know? Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those situations where a team is looking at it to see who can be that next guy. And Navarro's always been relatively competitive. So you put him onto yeah. a bike in, in the Supersport class, and he's probably going to do quite well. Because Locatelli's the interesting one. Because if you look at Locatelli's results, he was quite a good Moto3 rider. He was a point-scoring rider in Moto2, and then he jumped onto a super sport bike, won almost every race, easily wins the world championship, and then he's a factory Yamaha rider. So that showed the type of rider you can get without looking for an ultimate out-and-out top Moto2 rider. But it also showed a lot of riders in Moto2, this is a chance to be a factory rider in the superbike paddock. You got Locatelli as a factory Yamaha rider, Xavi Vieira as a factory Honda rider. So there's two riders from the Moto2 class that a lot of riders in Moto2 would have looked at and said, you know what, I've done a better job than them. Maybe I can go to that class, I can get podiums, I can be well paid, I can be a factory rider, when possibly there was never going to be that option for them to move into MotoGP as a factory rider. So it's, there's a lot of situations like that for the development of riders coming through that's been quite interesting in the last while. Feel like MotoGP's lost there, and in, in a lot of ways, because you get like Remy Gardner coming to the series and things next year as well. I think that that mo- the World Superbike paddock is going to get strengthened, and and riders can maybe come and try to earn a little bit of money there. Where it seems like you know you look at a Remy, he's one and done in MotoGP. It's a really sad case, and then you've got other riders that maybe nationality obviously plays into cate- in, in case here because. They're getting one, two, three years to try to go prove themselves on MotoGP bikes when they haven't done anything. And um, so I think World Superbike is 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 going to get strengthened for it. Looked like you guys had great weather in Portimao too, huh, for the for, for three days? Well, we had a good enough weather to be able to go out and play golf on the Wednesday and then get straight oh, into the race that. weekend. So it was pretty much ideal. I got, I got the text messages. He was at the old – you guys went to the old course, which just kills me, so – um, well, look, I, speaking, get, speaking get of riders in, yeah. that get spit out, all right, let's get yeah. off this golf. Speaking of riders that get <laughs> spit out, you know, Jake Gagne was was at Portimao in a, in a wild card ride, but let's go get the results. So we have three races during the weekend. 
in race number one, Razgatliagla wins over Bautista and Ray. Bassani, Lowe's top five. Gerloff was 10th place. And for Jake Gagne, 19th out of the points. In Super Pole race, Razgatliagla wins again. Bautista, Ray, Lowe's, Rinaldi. Uh, Garrett Gerloff ends up uh, retiring out of that race. Gagne, 16th. In race number three, it was Bautista, Razgatliaglu, and Ray. So Bautista able to put a stop to Razgatliaglu's uh, hat trick there. Rinaldi, Lowe's top five. Gerloff ends up ninth, and then Gagne ends up top 15. Steve, obviously this championship now is being controlled by Bautista. It's an interesting championship. I don't want to dismiss what's going on there, but before we get off into all that stuff, let's talk about what you saw with Gagne, because what we saw on the timesheets was a motorcycle that was significantly slower in a straight line. I don't even think it hit 300K in, a, you know, in the races. I mean, 298 there and... Maybe what? Yeah, two hundred eighty-eight in race, Super Bowl race, and so on. So, what did you see? How did you think Jake and the team did with what they were up against? Do you think it's a A, B, C, D, or F? Um, I think I probably like I came into it thinking that if Ganya could score points, it was a good performance. I thought there was an outside chance of maybe snatching the top ten, but. Even I probably underestimated just how difficult it was going to be because I think that the attack team should be applauded for just having the balls to go out and say, Do you know what, we're going to go to a championship that we've turned up and we've we've raced with JD Beach whenever all we did was throw Pirelli tyres onto it and he was out in the same bike in Moto America and Superbikes a few years ago. It's a team that said, you know what, we're going to throw everything into a flight cl- uh, into a flight case, we're going to do a flyaway around at a track we've never been to, probably the most complicated track in World Superbikes, and we're going to do it right at the end of our season when we've gone to, I think it was a Button Willow they went to for a test. They did. Which the team, yeah. the team said to me was, we were basically at a go-kart track in 110 degrees, so I can imagine that the track temperature yeah. was 60 degrees Celsius, so the Pirelli doesn't work in, well, no tyre works in that sort of heat. But what did they learn in that day? You know, Jake came over and he said, well, look, at the end of the day, tyre is black and round. And I think that would have been the case if he had turned up to World Superbikes 10 years ago or five years ago, but not anymore because the top 14, 15 riders are so competitive. If you look at the results week in, week out, who finishes in those positions? You're looking at the likes of Luca Mayas, who's a double world champion. You know, you're looking at, to a lesser extent, someone like Eugene Laverty, who's in the past been three times a runner-up in world championships. You're looking at, you know, a, a factory-supported BMW, a Honda. You're looking at great teams, bikes, riders, and they're scrambling for a point. And the problem with that is it means that the perception is you've had a really bad weekend if you come over to world championship and you score a point. Attack would have expected a lot more. Gagne would have expected a lot more. But I don't think they could have had a bigger challenge. And I think that the reason for that as well is at Portimao, one of the biggest things you have is it's where you've got the biggest spread of the field. So instead of it being, let's say, one second separating the fastest time in Super Bowl all the way down to 12th to 13th, it could be two seconds, 1st to 15th. So that then means that you're looking at it like you're quite far off the pace but it's just the natural spread of, of a track like that. And I think that they couldn't have picked a worse place to go. And I just thought it was really brave of them. I thought they actually did a, 
I thought they did more than an acceptable job. And the reason I say that is when you compare their results to the riders that turned up as a wild card at Donington Park from the British Championship at a track that they knew inside out, Pirelli tyres they knew. The only difference was obviously electronics and BSB compared to Moto America. So in BSB, you've got an incredibly limited package. It does have some electronics, but nothing like the sophisticated systems that you have in Moto America and in World Superbikes. But they went there... And they were with the bikes that they knew inside out, tracks that they knew all the secrets and all the, the nuances of, and they were in and around the same kind of position as what Gagne was. So for me, I think that Jake actually did quite a good job. It, it reminded me a lot of when Gerloff went to Moto America, uh, went to MotoGP, where he didn't embarrass himself. He did enough for me to warrant a second look at that stage from a MotoGP team. And I think Gagne was the same. He didn't embarrass himself. If a, if a World Superbike team decided next summer, do you know what, is it worth having Gagne on the bike? They'll look back to Portimao and they'll say, well, he didn't do a bad job, didn't do a great job, but he did a decent job. And, you know, you warrant then saying the level of Moto America is such that we could look at him as a potential rider for next year. Whereas whenever he was in World Superbikes last time, that was never going to be the case. Jake didn't do enough. Now he's a much better rider and he seems like, he seems that he's the same guy he's always been, but way more focused on things. Like, I was asking him about moving to Colorado, the difference that made. Because I remember whenever he was in World Superbikes before, I talked to him a lot about the fact that he'd go out to go training during the week and he was just going down to the motocross track and working out with all the supercross riders in the winter and all the guys getting ready for the outdoor season during the year. And all he wanted to do was go as fast as them on a motocross bike and show, I'm still as good as you guys on a motocross bike. Whereas now he seems to really understand understood that doesn't help him as a as a road racer. So he seems to have ended doing all that and focused on himself and working as hard as he can. I think he looks like a much more complete rider now than any stage whenever he was in Worlds for you know as a full time rider for eighteen months. Yeah, you know it's you you brought up the uh, something I didn't even think about <clears throat> the fact that there was a lot of British wild cards. Um, Look, that series you're 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 commentating on over there right now, Steve, is so brutally tough. It's so hard, and I think that the level of rider is what you say. It's and there's a lot of good machinery now. I think that that's the neat thing about World Superbike to me is that you, 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 there's a lot of good. Te- it seems like there's a lot of good teams, a lot of good bikes. Um, when you see the likes of even GMT wanting to get involved now, World Superbike seems like it's in a good place, and we knew it was going to be an uphill battle for Jake, especially at that track. I think expectations for me were were higher and I think that they were that, that might have even been just a little bit hopeful on my end only because I know how good the team is and how good Jake is but but boy when you get over there and and the speed defi- deficit that Greg talked about Greg brought that up to me and I didn't didn't really see it at the beginning and I'm like wow that's that's a big one to 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 go with and I think that if they go back again next year they have a little bit more of an idea what they're getting into cuz Stamboli doesn't sit on his hands let's talk about the championship in general now I mean I feel like um, there's a lot of things that I'm reading, a lot of things I'm seeing. Batista's done a tremendous job. It's not it's not really unlike 2019, except for he's not making the mistakes now, is he? He's realizing the motorcycle that he has underneath him, and he's using it to his advantage. And fair play to him, he's right. He's riding very, very well at the moment. He's riding great at the minute, and I think when you look at the season that he's had now, he's learned the lessons from 2019. But this weekend, it was quite interesting because it seemed that there was a a flick of the switch for him where he feels he's not being respected. And 
like for me, I think when you, when you look at the races, it's pretty easy to see that he's got a significant advantage. Now he's taken full use of that and he's riding perfectly. He's not making mistakes. He's coming away with wins, podiums, all that kind of stuff. I think he's pretty much spent everything bar two laps inside the top four or five positions this year. So that's pretty remarkable up to this point because we have seen, obviously, Toprak had his crash in France and then had to recover through the field. Johnny's had some really tough weekends as well where he's probably dropped down to fifth and sixth position and had to scrap there because that's been his pace at those races. And I think that's where we've seen Alvaro really good all the way through this year because he's so consistently top three positions. So he's doing a fantastic job, but it's also incredibly naive to think that it's all Alvaro Bautista. And the reason I say that is <laughs> Ronaldo's fourth in the championship. So he's winning the battle to be the, the best of the number twos, for want of a better phrase. So the best of the rest is Ronaldo in the championship standings. Bassani's winning his battles with a lot of riders as well. I think even um, Portimao, we saw it whenever he was racing with Lowe's, the last few laps of, I think it was race one, he was making a ton of mistakes. He was running deep into loads of corners. He was making making errors, but he could just whack open the gas and the bike would take him out of trouble. And that's great because he's got the bike underneath him to do it. But put yourself on to... Lowe's bike as the Kawasaki rider when you're hitting all your markers you're riding perfect and the other guy is making mistakes and still able to stay in front of you there's nothing more frustrating than being in that position and that comes down to the bike now Ducati's done a fantastic job there's no doubt about that but it's also one of those situations where for me just because so many Ducatis have had that chance this year to win those those other battles I think it sort of shows the difference and that's not taking anything well at least for me, I'm not trying to do it where I'm taking anything away from Bautista. There's a reason that he was an Aprilia factory rider as a 125 and 250 rider. There's a reason he won a 125 World Championship and came close to winning a 250 Championship against Simon Chali and a few other riders. And then goes to MotoGP where he's been a factory Aprilia, factory Suzuki, supported Ducati rider, and then a, a factory Ducati and Honda rider in superbikes. He's a super talented rider. But the other guys didn't really get those chances when they were younger, probably for a reason as well. So you've got a rider that has a higher ceiling than all those other guys and can take full advantage of it. And I think that, I think you can say how good of a job he's doing without discrediting the fact that he's got a significant advantage on the bike. Well, uh, okay. So Mike, when I led into that and I'm talking about, he's done a nice job of controlling the fact that He's not tossing it down the road like he did in 19. 2019, and I think Greg would agree because we've talked about this a bunch, he had – the bike advantage is tremendous, and it is again. And I've – I've, I think it's almost embarrassing watching how fast he passes guys down straightaways. It's it's almost like you you and Alex don't have anything to really say other than Batista's going down the left side while Johnny and Talprak are in each other's draft and the Ducati's just going past them. I, I kind of wish – you know, I saw something yesterday – where Bautista's making the claim that he's that his weight is a disadvantage, which I think is comical at best. The fact that the guy is going to sit there and go, "Well, at the beginning of the race, I got to get my tires up to temperature because of my weight." It's it's like, does he not realize that there's a few of us out there that can look at that and just laugh? It's laughable. It didn't look like he had too much trouble getting the thing up to temperature at Catalonia, where he led every single race. And from the second row of the grid, the guy's leading by eight bike lengths going into turn one. Like, why not just come out and say the team's done a great job and I've got the fastest bike on the grid? I went in and I talked to three different crew chiefs 
about their riders' starts in Catalonia because it was so startling to see Bautista just jump on everyone and straight through. Mm-hmm. And three different crew chiefs said that for their riders, one said he did his personal best start of the season, the the zero to <laughs> like I don't know what the, I don't know what mar- what measurement they used, but zero to one hundred mile an hour or zero to two hundred kilometers an hour. That was that rider's yeah. best start of the season, and for the other two riders, they were within a tenth of a second of their best start of the season. So it's usually let's say it's two point six seconds or whatever. So in that time frame, all of those riders made really good starts, and the guy from the third row of the grade was through before they came to the breaking zone. So like Alvaro significantly made, through made a good like, start, significantly. but like. You know, that that I think was the perfect illustration of the advantage he has for his acceleration. Yeah, yeah, I I found that pretty funny. And you know, you try not to take anything away from a guy who could be champion, but at the flip side of it, you look at how hard Top Rack's running. You look at how hard Johnny rides. I mean, you can only ride like that for so long. You could physically see it at Portimao in that race too, where it just got to the point where you just cannot keep doing it lap. After that, especially with the nuances of Portimao, the breaking downhill, it's going to wear you out. It's going to wear tires out. I think one of the most significant races of the year was Top Rack at Catalonia, watching him slide back to fifth and sixth place because he realized that if he chases those guys early, he literally has no tire left, as you saw in race one there, and he just starts going backwards anyways. You literally, they, they can't run the pace. I guess the question is, is will you start to see Ducati Will they start getting, for lack of a better term, will they start getting penalized like the rest of the manufacturers that we've seen in the past kind of have, um, you know, RPMs limited, this kind of thing? Because back when Johnny was doing all of his winning, everybody would sit there and say, well, let's look at where the nearest Kawasaki is. Nobody gave a shit about that. It was like, we're here to penalize one guy. Everybody else on Kawasaki's felt the effect of that. So it was really like unfair to everybody else as well. But what I mean, you know, what do you see happening in, in there? Will there be any kind of it's not gonna happen this year? And they're talking about the weight limits not happening, bike and bike and rider weight limits maybe not happening to twenty-four. Why are why would they wait so long to make an adjustment going into twenty-three? I'm not really sure. I did find it quite interesting when Alvaro and then independently a Ducati engineer um was talking to me just in the paddock about the weight limits. And I was asking them, like, you know, how how do you justify keeping it the way it is? Like, it's pretty clear. Anyone watching the race is able to understand that, fair enough, Alvaro might well set his bike up differently than everyone else. He might ride differently than everyone else. But I've never seen anyone able to just drive around the outside of everyone and wait for the bike just to get onto the straights and, and pick his moment to make a, a free overtaking move. And the weight limit issue came up. 2024 looks like when they'll bring that in. But the FIM can change anything overnight if they want. So it'll be interesting to see what Scott Smart, the FIM technical director, decides to do over the winter. But Ducati were very big on the fact that if we have a minimum weight, the bike is heavier. It's going to be more dangerous for everyone else. What happens if this bike crashes? It'll roll (laughs) further in a gravel trap. It'll do this, that and the other. And we were in Portimao, a track that's used for MotoGP. So MotoGP bikes can go... 30 kilometers an hour faster <laughs> than a world superbike. I'm pretty sure yeah. that 30, 30 kilometers an hour creates a huge amount more mass going into a gravel trap because of the force of gravity. So I don't really understand how that's a, a logical argument yeah. for it. But um, it seems to be the party line right now from Ducati. 
And no, for me, they've always found a way. They've always but, found but a way to I get that would be a concern things. because we've talked about it before, Jason, in uh, Baggers, King of the Baggers. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? With a with a bike that's over 600 pounds, it's a concern that that inertia, like ripping through and and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to the one thing that we see often see in crashes is the motorcycle is going to dig into the ground. And if it's, you know, 372 pound motorcycle versus a 600 and something pound motorcycle, <laughs> it's going to slow down quicker and the rider's going to skim off the top. So I, I, I understand what Ducati's saying. I don't agree with it, though. I doubt they're going to double the weight of Alvaro's bike. Yeah. They might put 10 kilo of ballast in it, you know, which is what they've done in the right. super sport class. Now, that has right. put the smaller rider at a disadvantage in the super sport class, but it's something that needs to be done because you're looking at, I always think that when you're looking at these situations, you're looking at Top Rack. Top Rack for me last year was hands down the best rider in the world in any championship. He was better than Quadraro for my money because he was doing things that no one else could do in superbikes. And he was doing it on the brakes, which was purely down to his style, how he how he works the bike. You know, he was doing something that no one else could do. So for me, last year, and from Mizano onwards this year, he's been back to being top rack. Johnny is a six times world champion that's the best we've ever seen. So he didn't suddenly become bad overnight. He hasn't had a serious injury. He's as driven and as fit as ever before, and he's riding really well. So Johnny is the best we've ever seen. Top rack is arguably, you know, let's say top three riders in the world. So if you're the top three rider in the world and the best we've ever seen and you can't make up for this massive deficit, something's clearly amiss. You know, Alvaro is a really good rider, but where were these performances when he was on the Honda? You know, and I think situations like that are quite interesting whenever you look at it. We're at the point of the season where we're talking about now. We saw Bautista a couple of years ago on the Ducati choke at the beginning of the year and give away a massive points lead. Do you see a Bautista now with everything that you've seen giving this championship away? I personally don't, but what's your view? I don't understand how he could give it away. We're going to go to Argentina, which is going to suit the Ducati. We're going to go to Phillip Island, which he was unbelievable at in 2019. And yeah. in fairness to Alvaro, on every bike he's ever ridden, he's been quite good in Phillip Island. Even on the Honda, it was one of his better better tracks. So... Mandalika, yeah, you could end up having bad weather. A lot of a lot of different factors could come into it, but he's got a, I think it's a fifty six point advantage with three rounds to go. Unless the world fall apart for him and Ducati, it's not going to change. Toprak won two races out of three the other day. He took three points out of Bautista for the he weekend. Crazy, so yeah. you know, nuts, and when you look it? at it oh, over the course of the season so far, you know. Toprak has been really good. He's won a lot of races. He had a lot of podiums. He's been front row, I think, all bar one round. And he's still the best part of 60 points behind. And that's with Yamaha working quite well. He's riding really well. I think Toprak, obviously, at the start of the season, that was his problem because he really struggled in those opening two rounds of the year. Aragon and and Assen and Estoril. He just felt like a rider that was under pressure all the time. And that's why he ended up giving up an awful lot of points in those early rounds. Because I think after the first race in Mizano, he was in and around 80 points behind. So he's actually done quite well since then. But he just gave up too much ground in those early rounds. And he said a lot of that came down to the fact that with the number one plate in the bike, he felt like he had to lead every every session. He felt that he had to be the best guy in the class at all times. 
And then he went to Misano and he said, you know what? I've got to just go back to being me. I've wasted my time for three rounds. He turned up at Misano and he was a totally different rider. He had a technical failure at Misano race one. And from Super Bowl race on, he's been the best rider in, in the class again. And I think that it was just unfortunate for him that he couldn't come to that realisation a little bit earlier. Because Aragon and Aston are two of the worst tracks in the calendar for him. And then you go to Estoril, which is a good good circuit for top rack. And he wasn't quite right mentally to be able to get the job done at that stage. And now he's been fantastic ever since. I think when you start to talk about, you brought it up earlier about like the second rider, Stevie, um, on each one of these teams. When you look at Rinaldi and you look at Locatelli and you look at Al uh, Lowe's, um, Al's, Al's come on a little bit the last couple rounds. I felt like the way I look at it is kind of the distance between him and Johnny hasn't been as great in the last few rounds. Like he's definitely seemed at Catalonia and things. I, I feel like the Cowie right now is the third best bike, fourth best bike out there. I don't, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that Johnny's just riding, riding it so hard at the beginning of these races. And it just, it, even if you're fit, it's got to wear you out. But I've been pretty impressed when you start to look at second riders. bassani has been impressive to me as well. Um, but what do you make of, what do you make of kind of the second riders in the championship? I think Ronaldi's fourth right now um, in the, in the championship. Um, what do you what do you kind of look at when you look at those those next kind of guys in the in the picture? Yeah, I think for me that when you look at the battle for the best of the rest, it really came down to Rinaldi versus Bassani for most of the season in terms of the big topic because they were both going for the factory Ducati seat. As it was, I don't think I could really argue too much with Ducati picking Rinaldi. I thought he'd done a good job this year. He finished top five in the championship last year. He's going to finish top five this year. So he's really met the expectations that Ducati would have had. I think that he hasn't, he hasn't won the races that he won last year. He hasn't quite had the same high points, but he's been consistent. And I think that's the big thing for him. And when you look at the other, the other second riders, Locatelli's underperformed. I know he's fifth in the world championship right now, but for the last three or four rounds, it's been quite tough for him. He's qualified well. He's been on the second row the last two rounds. But the races haven't gone like that for him. I think when you look at Kawasaki, like you were mentioning about Lowe's and the performance that we've seen, the gap between him and Ray has come down, which is a really good sign for Lowe's because when he went to Kawasaki, one of the big things was, are you going to be brave enough year in, year out to to measure yourself against Johnny? Johnny's the best we've ever seen. I think Lowe's has done a, a very good job, especially considering that, like you said, Jason, the bike's the third best bike on the grid now. Probably, if you were being objective on it, for which bike you want to be on, could be the fourth best bike on the grid. BMW's yeah. just launched a new bike today. So where's the new Kawasaki coming from? And I think when you take all those things into account, I think that's where we've seen Lowe's do a really good job. He's qualified really well. He's been close to Johnny, or I qualifying him at a, at a few rounds. You look at uh, Catalonia, right. he had qualified Ray front row in Portimao. He's had podiums, he's had a lot of top fives. I thought looking at him in Portimao was one of the best weekends I've seen from Lowe's. You know, I thought he seemed to not make a mistake all weekend, whether it was free practice, qualifying, and then the races, he was faultless. And that's as good as you can do, really. You know, he's on he's on that bike that's not quite good enough, and he's having to ride right on the limit. Johnny can make that bit of a difference because, guess what? He's Johnny Ray. So, um, yeah, for yeah. for me, it's one of those situations where if I'm Kawasaki, I'm pretty pleased to have Lowe's on my second bike. 
Yeah, no doubt. All right, Steve, we're going to wrap things up with you. But before we go, when's the next round and the podcast that you were talking about that you guys do? Tell us about that and how we can find it. Yeah, we're off to Ar- Argentina next, so San Juan. And I have to say, if anyone's ever looking to go to a race in South America, this is the one to go to because we're in the foothills of the Andes Mountains. So everything looks spectacular. You're in the Mendoza region, so everyone's able to get nice red wine, good steak. Food's good. Hotels are all right. And <laughs> I, I love going down to it. Like, I remember when we were going last year, it was our first flyaway after COVID. And the whole paddock was there talking about, like, oh, we have to wear masks on the flight. This is going to be a nightmare. This is going to be tough. And I was just there thinking, flying to Argentina is always tough. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You're having to transfer through airports. You go through, you know, international to domestic airport. But when you get there, it's class. You know, you're in the middle of ah, South America. Flyaways are always a really good atmosphere for the paddock because the people that go to them have to be there, whether it's journalists, photographers, whatever it is. You've got a slightly smaller paddock as well because we don't have 300s. Everyone's in it together, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. We've got three rounds left. They're Indonesia, back to Phillip Island to finish the season. is going to be great. It's nice that MotoGP get to go and be the warm-up act for us for a change. So they'll get Phillip Island nice and ready for us. And then we'll have our last round in the, the <laughs> middle of November. And then I, I get to go out to JP for a week of golf at the start of December. So, you know, everything's everything's perfect for me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Argentina. Yeah, going to, going to Argentina sounds a lot like going to Jersey, huh, Greg? Yeah, yeah, just like it. Just <laughs> like going to Jersey. Well, Stevie, it's, it's obviously awesome having you come on here with us. Uh, Paddock Pass podcast is the podcast that you should be listening to, uh, to listen to what Stevie and the boys are saying week in and week out. They do an outstanding job. There's a, what is there about four or five of you that kind of rotate in and out of that, um, that I get to listen. So I get to listen to a lot of you guys on there and it's really good to really good stuff you guys put out every week. Yeah, we've got myself, Gordon Ritchie, and Charlie Hiscott for World Superbikes. So Charlie and Gordo yep. are super experienced in the World Superbike paddock. I've obviously been there since 2016. So for us, the goal was just to make sure that you've got a podcast where everyone's in the paddock all the time. And that's why for MotoGP, we've got David Emmett, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. And then I kind of rotate into that one every now and then. But we've got those guys to, to keep everyone up to date and everything that's happening in MotoGP. And we kind of look at it that the goal is to make sure that if you're at the races, like like we are for all of them, you've got a bit of a responsibility to make sure everyone's able to know all the news from inside the paddock. So we try and do that for our championships the same way you do it for Moto America in particular. And it's, uh, for, well, for me, it's a lot of fun. You just sit there and talk about motorbikes for an hour and then you move on to no, do great. the rest of your job. Yeah, well... I know I'm looking for you for you to get through all these races and get out here to me. I know uh, you're going to be quite the celebrity. All of my friends, I told them you're coming out to uh, to see us. All my buddies at Chuck Wall are like, "Oh, when's he coming?" And you kind We're of replaced Greg White in the, in the, the status the area then, there. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's going to be good to have you out here, Stevie. Thanks as usual for joining us, and uh, you and I obviously will be will be staying in touch. Thanks, mate. Thanks, boys. A lot of fun as always, and uh, just enjoy the rest of the season. We've still got a fair bit up for grabs, whether it's in MotoGP or Superbikes. All right, thanks, Steve, so much for giving us all that great information. Now, Jay, let's move to MotoGP because they're at Phillip Island this weekend, and the weather, as we talked about at the top of the show, is supposed to be horrendous. Now, the thing is, Jason, if you look at the MotoGP class, the problem is isn't just that the weather's going to be bad. There's a lot of chatter 
about the winds and how they hit the bikes in Phillip Island specifically and how the aero packages on these MotoGP bikes might be absolute trash and how it's going to throw, you know, a monkey in the wrench as it were. But what do you think about this weekend, MotoGP, Phillip Island and the championship and all this kind of stuff? Because what, there's two points, I think, right? Between, uh, yeah. between our championship points leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, best yeah. track in the world. 219, best tra- 217. Best track in the world. Don't you agree? I mean, I think. Word. 100%. Um, I think it's best track in the world. And I feel that like it's such a shame that these guys are finally going back there. And this is all, you know, the weather's going to be bad. I mean, look predicting weather is, you know, we've seen that in the past, but there are definitely trends that you can get on the coast there in Phillip Island. And they, you know, they're, 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 they're out in the middle of the ocean there for real. Like when you come up down that front straightaway, you look like you're, you're going off into the ocean. So they're probably pretty decent at predicting weather trends at that specific place. So, you know, I, I did see an article, G-Dub, based off what you just said there. I saw an article based on the surface area of the bikes now and how the air and the wind gets distributed around those motorcycles, especially with the wings now. And you got wings on the tail section. And, you know, it will be interesting to see how those bikes are getting buffeted or moved around because at the speeds they're going, they're going to have to really respect when they go under that bridge going down the front straightaway. I would think that they're going to have to really respect the left edge of that track if you know to not get blown off the track you know and i think that that could be a sketchy little area there before you tip into turn one because the wind generally comes from right to left there see i often wonder what or how the arrow gets developed because mm-hmm. this was going on in cycling jay probably 15 years ago oh was it? Okay. people started to come out with deep dish wheels carbon wheels when carbon kind of came into play you know you have like when you race indoor on a track you're gonna have a solid disc the wind comes around and, and you can see what bicycle wheels look like is what moto three bikes look like. If you look at a moto three bike, they have a solid, you know, disc on the back wheel. Those are just shrouds, right? That right. cover the wheel. And that's for arrow. If there's a crosswind, those things will be gone. You'll see normal wheels on a moto three bike, but with cycling, the initial development and wind tunnel testing was just done head on, right? So it was just wind going straight. And so they would come up with all these great numbers. So like, Oh, look how arrow this wheel is. If we put this on the, and the problem was as soon as any of these athletes, especially in time trial racing, if you Mm -hmm. got into a crosswind, it would blow you off the road and it would slow you down dramatically. Yeah. So, you know, there is, I rode, I rode, I I think I rode one of your bicycles or I rode somebody's bicycle that had those wheels and it was definitely a, a crazy lot different feeling, you know? And yeah. Um, and now they kind of have it where they're like in cycling, they kind of know, like if I don't remember the numbers anymore, but it was like, if you go more than 35 millimeter depth, you're, you're su- kind of subject to crosswind. If you're somebody who rides in headwinds all the time, you can get deeper wheel, whatever. But it's one of those situations that's going to be so interesting for me from a technical standpoint to watch. Yeah. Because the other question I have is that I don't know is that what, they're they're allowed to homologate a couple different sets of bodywork. Oh, is that right? Do you go back to a more mellow a mellow set? You know, I don't know if that's available or not. I can tell you since it's a flyaway race, it was something that they would have had to pack up. You know, a, a lot of stuff, or, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the there's, there's got to be a, there's got to be a safety concern there too, right? For those guys, so. that, that's first and foremost is yeah. safety concern, not only for the rider on the bike itself, but also what happens to the wind behind. Yeah, you know, is I it agree. going to be like uh, the ability for people to pass? No, yep. you know, no clue. But obviously, two points to this championship: Quattararo, Bagnaya, 
Alicia Spargaro is he's still in the mix. I mean, you know, Bastianini's in it and Miller's 40 points back. So mathematically, you have five to three rounds left in this championship. Quadraro looks like he's slipping backwards at the moment. Bagnaya has the momentum. This racetrack, Jason, a horsepower track. Can Yamaha do well here? What are your thoughts? Can it do well? Yeah. Can it? Can it get a good enough start and get down into turn one in a competitive place? I think that's the bigger, the bigger question. Is rain good or bad for Quadraro at this stage? I oh, it's I, bad if you go off of the last appearance, right? I feel yeah, I feel like that's going to be the biggest disadvantage is getting that run down to uh, is being able to get down to the first turn. Now, I haven't really got an opportunity to, to see any of the press conference because I think it's Thursday over there already. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what the press conference has said and what, what's going to be, um, what's going to be going on. You know, I, I saw that Quadrao got a little bit of grief for not really talking to the press after Thailand. I, I think it's funny that it's like, if the guy comes out and says something bad, he'd get condemned. If he comes out and says nothing at all, he gets condemned. It's like everybody could kind of see it wasn't a good race for him. He was probably disappointed. What do they really need from the guy? You know, like, what do you need to hear? Right. GW, I mean, You've been in the sport long enough. You've seen enough riders get off the back of a motor or get off a motorcycle pissed off. You know when to give them their space. You you didn't need a quote from them to say, oh, hey, how'd that go for you? Oh, you finished 17th. It didn't go good. Oh, okay. Like, what do you want from the guy? So um, I think that. Yeah, but it's not really about that, is it? It's not really, especially with all these, uh, you know, internet journalists. It's all about them getting a quote so they can get clicks. It's not That's exactly right. That's you know, exactly which right. is which is fine. It's their business. I'm not, you know, I'm not pooping on it. But it's like, don't poop on him because you didn't get to, you know, to get the article out so you can get your clicks. Correct. It's not about yeah. you. All I agree. Time. I agree. I agree. It is kind of funny. Those guys have. It's just funny how that side of the media world has is almost turned on things. You know, it's yeah. Anyways, we've talked about it before. It's constant complaining about stuff. Like just stop. But I think um, the Ducatis are going to get a great run down that straightaway. Um, I just feel like the Ducati launch device, too, is just a little bit superior to, to everything else at the moment. We've seen the Aprilia have its troubles with that. Um, we've seen Rins been able to get good starts, but he usually has to come from third or fourth row. It just seems right now, when you look at the next two tracks, it goes right down to what Quattararo said, isn't it, Greg? I mean, do you remember when he said just a couple races ago, he's like, listen, right now, Aragon's going to be tough for me. Um, Thailand's going to be tough for me. Phillip Island's going to be tough for me. And Sepang ain't going to be no picnic either because no. they've got big straightaways there as well. So the fact that he was able to get nothing out of Thailand really is is a shame. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see. It's going to be an interesting thing. We got a Moto2 championship as well that's really close between two riders. How's that really race going to get affected? Um between exactly you know, that's the it, thing Jay. one and a yeah. half it's one and a half points it's like wild fernandez is crazy as 238 and a half that's a weird deal but could a championship being won by a half a point could be pretty pretty special i do want to say this though hometown favorites you know even though there's no say home home field advantage as it were home emotion advantage plays a part jack miller just got married last weekend a ton of your friends were at his wedding yeah you know that he gets married. He comes home. He's raced in Australia. Obviously, he raced the Australian Superbike Series just, you know, whatever, three quarters of a year ago or whatever it was. He's doing that again, too, I think, at the end of the year. He is, yeah. That's so but sick. But the thing I'm saying is, you know, 
I look at Jack and I think you would have to tip the cap and say he's the favorite. I'm not sure if, you know, Pecco has kind of come out and said, hey, look, I want to win this championship on my own. I don't need help from anybody else. And I, I like that. And then you have Remy Garner, who I think is the potential, you know, l- listen, Jason, we have seen in our careers magic happen at Phillip Island. Over we there. have magic. Yeah. yeah. One of the biggest things ever was Anthony Gomer World Superbike on a Bomoda middle middle back of the pack kind of guy it rains his grandmother i believe had just passed away and he goes and just knocks the shit out of everybody i, I feel mean, like we talk won. about this at least once a year and you're 100 percent right, right g-dub i mean i think he led by eight seconds on the first lap <laughs> think about <laughs> that he in, came from in, like in the, the rain. fourth or fifth in row the in the rain yeah. in the rain and was on his way and like philip island can definitely throw that up and it i you know it's always MotoGP gp weekend because and I'm sure for those of you, everybody out there has got social media. The the Melandry coming out of the last corner sideways with smoke off the tire, <laughs> given the peace sign, might be the greatest piece of video ever. Yeah. Um, ever. The only I mean, one, the only the one that I can think of that thing. compares to that is yeah. the Biagi over the tipping point wheelie that he saved. That was probably another. That was pretty impressive as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on all that. So. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. we got some great championships coming down. Make sure you check it out. We'll be talking about it. Moto3, Ethan Guevara's kind of checked out in this one. Dennis is holding on for dear life, but Guevara's got a good opportunity if he can keep his nose clean to wrap this thing up pretty early. I don't. It might even be this weekend. I mean, let's see. I think he he's can. Got, he can. That, he's only got to have can. a fifty. Po- he's only got to have a fifty point lead. I think. Right. Right, and he's so. got he's got forty nine on Dennis Foggia. So I think if he just beats Foggia. Yeah, pretty much. He's he's pretty golden at that point. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, there's there's a lot of things at play there. So that's it. That's it for this podcast. Um, we'll be talking obviously MotoGP from Phillip Island next week, and what other other news items that we have. So with that, Jason, if there's anything else you want to add to this thing? No. Hey, everybody, enjoy Phillip Island weekend. I'm excited about it, and um, I'm home for a couple of weeks, G Dub. So we're going to be able to kill this podcast and. I think we got <clears throat> I think we got some World Superbike and things coming up. So have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.